0: This morning we are going to be reading in the book of 1st Corinthians chapter 15. So if you have a Bible or if you need one, there's some in the pews there. And we're going to be considering, obviously, the resurrection of Jesus. 1st Corinthians chapter 15 in the New Testament there. What I hope to share with you and kind of ask you to consider today is to consider the evidence of the resurrection. And the Bible invites scrutiny. God invites scrutiny. He says, come, let us reason together. And so Christianity isn't a faith where anybody ought to shy away from having people ask questions about it or having discussion about it or debate about it or anything like that. Uh, the Bible is a, is an open book and it's there to, to, to be examined. And so um, that's what we're going to do this morning. I want to try to do a reasonable uh, you know, message with you guys and just kind of provoke you to, to some thought. So that's the plan. That's the trajectory. Let me just read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 to 19. We're not going to study that passage in detail. There's some points there that I'm going to lift out of there, but it also kind of sets us in a trajectory. So 1 Corinthians 15, follow along if you would in your Bibles. The Apostle Paul is writing to Christians, and he's discussing the idea and the fact of the resurrection. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which which you also received and in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you. Unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and he was seen by Cephas, another name for Peter, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep or died. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. I'd like to pray. Thank you, Lord, that you uh, not only appeal to our hearts, but you appeal to our minds to consider you. Thank you for this reasoned argument, Lord, by the Apostle Paul, really from you, Lord. And we just... uh, Ask, God, that you would speak to our hearts and also speak to our minds. Help us to examine the evidence, Lord, about the resurrection and, and help us to make or to continue to have a decision about it, a conclusion about it. So thank you, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. There's a great uh, article online. I don't have time to read it. I, I copied and pasted it here Uh, but there's not time, but I want to just, if you're interested in such things, you can go back and listen to the message here on YouTube. Uh, We we video the messages, and if you want to get this reference, you can go back and and watch the the, uh, video. But there's an article called The Science of Why We Don't Believe Science. And the author, his name is Chris Mooney, and this is what he says. He says, A man with a conviction is a hard man to change. Tell him you disagree, and he turns away. Show him facts or figures, and he questions your sources. Appeal to logic, and he fails to see your point. Let me read that again. Man with a conviction is a hard man to change. Tell him you disagree, and he turns away. Show him facts or figures, and he questions your sources. Appeal to logic, and he fails to see your point. It speaks of the man who's made up his mind on something and really doesn't want to... Uh, examine the evidence he doesn't want to consider anything outside of what makes him comfortable and in the article the author goes on to talk about how we all have this response called the fight or flight uh, response if, if there's danger or something that's threatening you you either want to fight against it or else you want to run away from it uh, and this guy is not a Christian this guy is actually kind of against Christians and against anybody that thinks uh, believes in creationism or anything like that so but his point is this that oftentimes if something feels threatening to us, we don't want to stop and examine it. And he, he happens to be an evolutionist, and he says evolution helped us along that way in that if there's something dangerous, we don't want to take the time to examine it. Either we have to figure out very quickly if we can fight against it or if we should run away. So in that sense, evolution did us a favor, according to the author. But he says that also spills over into most everything that we... Uh, perceive or any kind of philosophy or opinion or worldview that we hold, oftentimes uh, we can find ourselves, if there's something that's kind of threatening what we believe, we kind of either want to fight against it right away or we want to run away from it and dismiss it and we don't take time to examine the facts. And so I thought, well, and then he kind of goes on to say, kind of like why I'm wrong. And that's fine, I I, I. I'm fine with people having an opinion. Um, but the science that applies to me also applies to him. So it applies to all of us. So if the fight or flight thing is in us as human beings and we have a strong persuasion towards something and we start to either feel threatened or challenged, oftentimes we say, I don't want to hear about it or, or put up your dukes, we're going we're gonna to punch it out. And I think that, I thought it was a good observation, actually. I thought it was really good. He also went on to say that sometimes we come to our conclusions based more upon emotional feelings than, than reasoned thinking. Something that feels good to us, something that feels right to us, and we won't examine the facts. I'm, I'm having flashbacks to my teenage years and all the stupid things I did not based on reason. <laughs> You're giggling because you did too. Not based on reason, but based on emotion, right? So, I mean, that's, that's just a recognized fact. But the thing that I love about the Bible that it, it invites and, and accepts scrutiny and invites investigation. And the Apostle Paul here is, is reasoning with these Christians who seem to think that the resurrection wasn't an important thing or maybe didn't even happen, and he's just simply reasoning with them. And so it's a reasoned kind of pursuit that we are following today. Follow your notes if you would. I'm just going to kind of run right through them. Number one, Christianity lives or dies on the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, there really is no Christianity. He explains this. He says in verse 1, The Corinthians had heard the preaching of the gospel. They believed it and stood in it. So Paul came to them, explained the gospel message. They believed it. Their faith, verse 2, led them to to be saved, but they needed to continue to believe in it. That's part of the Christian life. You need to continue to believe the gospel message. Verse 3, Paul said he spoke what he received. And so he is proclaiming that he did not invent this message. It's not man-inspired, but it's God-inspired. He said that message, number one, Jesus died for our sins. And this is part of the gospel message. The word sins mean offenses or to miss the mark or the violation of law. So when we violate the laws of God, we we are sinning against God. We are not living as we should he said that that message came according to the scriptures. Now this is real interesting. The Bible, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, I'm sure most of you have, but maybe some of you haven't. The Bible is a collection of 66 books. It's not one book, it's a collection of books. 66 books, 40 human authors. It spans about 1,500 years, so it's a collection of books. It's written by kings, shepherds, prophets, fishermen, a tax collector, a tent maker, and a physician. And though there are human secretaries, if you will, people who penned it, the Bible says of itself that it's inspired of God. It has one message. God exists and he wants to have a relationship with you. That's a very, very boiled down, but that's the essence of it. That's how it started. That's how it's going to end. Uh, God says, and I will be with my people, Emmanuel. So... Verse 4, he says, Jesus was buried, he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The death, burial, resurrection are critical to the Christian message. Without that, there is no Christianity, really. There are a lot of people that admire Jesus for being a moral teacher and you know, ethically kind of head and shoulders above other people. Maybe they even believe in miracles and, and they appreciate that about Jesus. But when it gets to this death and resurrection business, it's, it, it's a little too much for, for them to believe so they want to accept you know, the, the moral teaching, cool guy Jesus, probably long hair with flowers and a headband and just something very cool and just flowing and just, you know, that's really attractive to a lot of people. But if there is no death and resurrection, there is no Christianity. And so it, it's a non-negotiable. Jesus isn't just another one of the moral teachers that, that lived and died. He, he predicted his own death and he predicted his own resurrection. And so if there is no death followed by a, by a resurrection... There is no Christianity. In verses 5 to 11, we're not going to read through those. I mean, we read through it already. The Apostle Paul lists people and the numbers of people that saw Jesus in his resurrection state. Eyewitnesses are important in establishing facts. I mean, our court system, our judicial system relies on it heavily. Cases are won on the testimony of eyewitnesses or they're lost on the testimony of eyewitnesses. And so Paul here, kind of like, a defense lawyer, the defense of the gospel message, is just bringing his evidence to the court. There are some objections, and I'm just going to read through this, there are some objections to this idea of people seeing a resurrected Jesus. And so if, if you came in with objections today or think it's kind of a skeptical thing, that's fine, that's cool, you can have your opinion. Just throw, I'm just tossing ideas at you for you to ruminate on. Consider if you think they're valid ideas, valid reasoning or not. Some, people say, some say that people were so sad over Jesus' death that they imagined that they saw him. If you, if you look up the, if you Google and do a search on mass hallucinations, you will see that very, very, very few scientists believe in the fact that there can be mass hallucinations. One or two or three, but not 500 at the same time in the same place. This is what secular scientists will tell you, and psychologists and psychiatrists, that that just, a few of them believe it, but most of them don't. And I'm going to use a phrase here with you today, that anything is possible. And so a lot of people kind of want to perhaps dismiss Jesus because anything is possible. But but really the question I want to ask, and have you ask yourself, but is it probable? Now we, we do things because they're probable. I buy a car because it's probably going to keep working. Or we buy a house because probably we're going to continue to have our jobs and the housing market looks good and the bank likes our credentials and all that. We don't do things just because they're possible. We do things because they're probable. And I'm not asking you to either accept Jesus or dismiss Jesus because it's possible. I'm asking you to consider Jesus because if, is, is what the Bible's saying, is it probable? Does it make more sense that it happened this way than, than, in, than in any other way? So that's kind of where I'm at right now. So there's evidence, there's more evidence and reason for the resurrection than for a mass hallucination. Once again, people want to dismiss Jesus because they say there was a mass hallucination. There's more evidence for a resurrection than there is for a mass hallucination. Incidentally, a mass hallucination doesn't, explain jesus being alive and it doesn't explain the empty tomb so some people want to say there was no resurrection from the dead it was a mass hallucination okay let's say there was a mass hallucination over here what do you do about this empty tomb then so it doesn't kind of cover that aspect of the empty tomb hallucinations if you look it up and i encourage you to do your own homework go on google look up Religious, hallucina- religious hallucinations, that's a great afternoon thing, isn't it? Just go have your ham and your Easter eggs and Google mass hallucinations. Okay. Hey, right? Hallucinations, religiously speaking, spiritually speaking, are often happen with people that want to see something. The stigmatas or, you know, uh, the Virgin Mary crying in a church or something like that. People come wanting to see something and then they go, I'm pretty sure that's a tear or I'm pretty sure that's blood or or what have you, okay? I'm not here to attack those things. I'm just, there are examples of people that want to see something. The disciples, all of the disciples, all of the apostles, none of them believed that the resurrection was real. When they saw Jesus, they were surprised. They weren't relieved. They weren't expecting it. And so the, the argument about a mass hallucination by religious zealots, guys, they didn't believe that the resurrection was going to happen. So this is, again, just do, using some reasoning. They didn't, they didn't believe it was going to happen. Verses 12 to 19, Paul goes through a list of things and asks some questions. What if the resurrection isn't true? I'm going to run through this quickly. Verse 12, if the resurrection isn't true, we go into the ground and turn to dust forever. That's the end of it. A lot of people are okay with that. But if the resurrection is true, then you don't go into dust, into the ground and turn to dust forever. There is an afterlife. So if, it's, if, it is, you know, if the resurrection isn't true, no worries, no worries, brah. You know, there's just no, no worries. But if it is true, then there's a great liability. Verses 13, if the resurrection isn't true, then Jesus didn't rise and isn't alive. Easy to, easy to, to reason through these things. If the resurrection isn't true, then Paul's preaching and and mine, by the way, are useless and all our faith in Jesus is useless. So I'm just a nice guy that wasted my life if the resurrection isn't true. I believe it is, of course. If the resurrection isn't true, then Paul and others and me did not and do not tell the truth, deceived, mistaken, whatever. Whatever the resurrection isn't true, my faith is fatal. I'm still guilty before God if there is a God. If there is a God, then I'm still guilty before Him if there is no resurrection. If there is no resurrection, those who died believing in life after death are just dead. They're gone. There's nothing. They were misled. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, I, lo- I love this. I love that the Bible is willing to criticize the followers of Christ if what we believe isn't true. We're not building, we don't have to build a bubble around ourselves. The Bible, the Bible calls us out. If this isn't true, it says in verse 19, we're to be pitied more than everybody else because we believe the biggest hoax ever foisted upon mankind. So if the resurrection isn't true, feel sorry for me. That's what it says. Finally, this is a, meant to be humorous. If the, if the resurrection isn't true, if Jesus isn't, isn't alive, then who have I been praying to? <laughs> I'll confess to you, sometimes my head gets a little disengaged with the faith. It does. I hope that doesn't make you stumble and nobody's going to ever come back to the church. And my, my mind can go in different directions. But then if I, I quiet down, I just go, but there's this thing inside of me that I can't shake. I think if I tried to shake Jesus in my head, my heart wouldn't let me go because he's here and here. And we're going to get to more of that in a minute. Jesus, is, If Jesus didn't wasn't raised from the dead then these are the consequences. It's reasonable. Just going to work through some more thoughts here with you guys. There is external evidence supporting the resurrection. There's a lot of wisdom and consideration. When a person considers something, it's always good to examine the evidence. If you're buying a car, it's good to kick the tires, do the Carfax thing. If you're buying a house... You get an inspection. If you're going to go into business, you do the projections. You try to figure out the market and, and risk loss and all those kinds of things. It's good to do some consideration when you're considering something. With businesses, with houses, with cars, with a car you can kick the tires, so to speak. You can get it checked. And so those things are a little more tangible. But have you ever bought a car and it looked good, it looked good, it looked good, and then it wasn't? Any lemon people here? Okay. It looked good and it did everything you could. It was tangible, but it wasn't good. Okay? These things are a little more measurable, but when we're talking about believing in things that we can't see, it's not quite as tangible, but we are still wise to examine the evidence. Other ideas that we have about that are not so tangible, the origin of life, evolution, ancient claims regarding religion. So, how do we come to conclusions about things? I can't kick the tires, if you will, uh, or you know of, of Christianity in a physical way It's a story in a book it's truth that's its it presents itself as truth, but I can kick the tires philosophically and historically, and I can examine the evidence that's here, and we're just talking about external evidence we're not talking about You know, I believe that Jesus is alive because I have this warm, fuzzy feeling. I'm not there yet. I'm going to get to the warm, fuzzy feeling in a minute, okay? But there's some external evidence that you can consider when regarding Jesus. Some say that Jesus didn't really die. It's called the swoon theory. Either his disciples thought he was dead, they intentionally took him off the cross, or he was drugged when he drank from a sponge. They put a sponge up on a branch and and let him take a sip. and And some people say, well, they drugged him. They say that he was placed into the tomb for a few days, he regained his strength, and after that he came out of the tomb, presented himself alive, and the resurrection myth began. So that's the swoon theory. Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Four reasons why this theory is not plausible. Plausible doesn't say possible. Plausible says not probable. It's not likely that that's what happened. Can I prove it? No. Can we use our minds and say, is that probable? Is it possible? Sure, anything's possible. But is it probable? If I ask you guys a question, honestly, how many of you, and you don't have to raise your hands or anything, how many of you would consider yourself, I'm a, I'm a real seeker of truth. I want to know the truth about things, okay? So this is what the Bible is inviting us to consider. Any, anybody can say, oh, it's, anything's possible. I don't know if Jesus raised, oh, it's possible that he didn't. Okay, fine. But is it, is it probable? Is there, is there a good likelihood that this happened? Four reasons why the swoon theory isn't plausible. The Romans were experts at crucifixion. If he didn't die, they failed, which isn't likely. If Jesus didn't die on the cross, his resurrection appearances would have required, look at, look at the list, he didn't die from blood loss or infection, not, not probable. He recovered his strength without a medical attention, food or water, not probable. He was strong enough to roll away the stone not probable, okay, he single-handedly evaded or overpowered the Roman guards guarding the tomb, and he looked healthy enough to look like he came back from the dead. Is it possible that 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 didn't happen? Sure, it's possible. Is it probable? It's not probable. It's not likely that a man that, that was scourged to the degree and beaten to the degree that he was... And hung on a cross all that time. If he didn't die, it's, it's not probable that he resuscit- or recovered in three days, pushed a stone back, overpowered the guards, and looked really good. It's just not probable. Can I prove it? Mm-mm. Can I use my brain? And if I was a betting man, I'd bet that it's true. Let's continue on. Some say that his body was stolen. You can read about that in Matthew 28. The Jewish authorities When they heard that the body of Jesus was gone from the tomb, they said, let's make up a story. Let's say his disciples stole it. So that's that's even introduced in the Bible. Jesus' body being stolen was certainly a possibility, but not a probability. The best approach is to consider what is probable, not possible. His stolen body would support the empty tomb. So if people want to say, he didn't raise from the dead, they stole his body, that's why the tomb was empty. Okay, that covers the empty tomb. But now what about the resurrection appearances? Well, he didn't, they had mass hallucination, they really didn't see him. Okay, what about the empty tomb? Well, the tomb's empty, well, well then why did he look so good? <laughs> see, there's not, not, there's not one of those theories that kind of covers everything and kind of erases it all. If you're camping on one or the other, the, the probability is not likely that all of these things come together to cancel out the resurrection story. So, where am I? Thank you. The resurrection is supported by more than just the empty tomb. The resurrection is also supported by the resurrection appearances. You can make a body disappear. It's quite another thing to make it look good. <laughs> Later. Is it possible? Sure, anything's possible. Is it probable? No, I don't think so. Not to me. The apostles died as martyrs defending the resurrection. Why would they die for a lie? And I've thought about that and kind of struggled for a long time because the jihadists, the suicide bombers, they die for their faith too, right? But I, it finally dawned on me yesterday, so I thought I, this would never be a good argument for the apostles dying for, for their faith. But as I understand Islam and, and those who practice the jihad, the holy war against infidels and all of that, their uh, theology teaches them that if they do that, there's a great reward, Right, the 72 virgins or whatever. And so they do it with a mindset of saying, my theology teaches me that if I die for the cause, then I'm going to be re- rewarded in heaven with Allah. There's nothing in, Christ- in the Christian faith that says you're rewarded for dying for a lie. Does that make sense? If they knew it wasn't true and they died for it anyway, there was no, re- there was no reward coming to them according to their faith. And they all went on to suffer greatly and all died as, as martyrs except John, the Apostle John. This is really interesting. I discovered this yesterday. A crucified, resurrected Savior was culturally and religiously unacceptable in that day. If you're trying to start a new religion, you don't start off with a Savior that makes people mad. Jesus was crucified. That was the worst thing you could ever tell a Jewish person. Crucifixion was the most... Uh, heinous, awful, wicked thing that you could do to a human being. So if you're going to preach Christ to the Jews, you don't say, yeah, he was crucified. What? Immediate turnoff. Not politically correct. No can do. Nope, nope, not prudent. (laughs) That's my George Bush thing. Come on, guys. You don't don't start off with something that's immediately going to turn people off. The other side, a resurrected Savior, the Greeks thought that the body and the physical... Uh, nature was absolutely wicked, so they indulged themselves immorally in all of that, but they said, but when I die, I'll be separated from it all, and I'll be away, and I'll just be off into space or whatever they believed. So you don't want to have a savior that comes back in his flesh again. That was offensive to them. So when you're starting a new religion, you're starting off with two politically incorrect ideas to reach people that you're trying to reach. If, you're, if you want to be clever about it, they, they wouldn't have done that because both things flew in the face of the culture they were reaching. It's just another reason why the idea of the, of the, the crucifixion and the resurrection just wasn't a clever idea. It wasn't a clever idea. It was offensive. It was, it was the worst thing you could come up with unless it's true. Finally, that's, all, that's just some external evidence. There's a lot of external evidence out there that you guys can, can look up and Etc. <clears throat> there then, then, then there follows, and this is just our last few points here, and we're just about done, and those amazing donuts are out there waiting for you. There's internal evidence that supports the resurrection. This, this is how I see it. There's all this external evidence, and some people look at it and say, nope, nope, nope. And it might be their fight or flight kicking in. It might be, if I become a Christian, I'm going to have to hang out with those people. (laughs) Or I'm going to have to vote Republican. Or I'm going to have to like Donald Trump. Or I'm going to have to do these things. I'm going to, you know, whatever. I can't drive a hybrid. I don't know. If I, if, I have to, if I have become a Christian, there's all these cultural things that I don't like and I don't want to be associated with those people and all that stuff that they do and all their Christian talk. And so I'm, I'm pushing against it and I'm running away. But that's not examining the evidence. Can I just tell you guys something? I'm the pastor of Cornerstone. I've been for 25, going on 25 and a half years. I don't agree with everything that even happens in this church. I don't agree with all of you and some of you don't agree with all of me. We're not gathered because we are clones of each other. We're gathered because we believe in Jesus. So you don't have to worry about becoming a Christian having to be like them. Just believe in Jesus and be you. We need more people that just believe in Jesus and just be themselves. But the fight or flight thing says, I don't, want to, I don't even want to examine you know, because it might turn me into something. Nobody's going to turn anybody into anything. Except God, and that's only if you want Him to. And then there's emotional biases. Like I went to church when I was a kid, and the and the pastor was a bomb, and this and that, and people were mean to me. And so there's an emotional rejection of evidence. The evidence didn't offend you. I'm sorry that people may have, and people do. Churches can be terribly offensive places at times, because you have people in them. Church would be great if it wasn't for people. It's a joke. Church would be great if it wasn't, but people offend. And so some, so some people say, I don't, want to, I don't want to investigate the evidence because I'm emotionally hurt. I understand that. But that's not having intellectual integrity. So if you count yourself as a truth seeker, I'm just sharing some thoughts with you that you can Consider. And then if a person finally gets to that place, like I did and like many of us, where we're like, there's just too many things that are, that are pointing me in the direction of Jesus. My prayer to Jesus when I was 16 years old was like, and this was not theologically deep, if you're there, if you're there, I'm ready. That was my prayer. I had examined evidence as much as I could as a 16-year-old kid can. If you're there, I'm ready. And something started happening inside now, I can't take you to, to the external evidence and, and have you touch it. And I also can't take you to the internal e- evidence and have you touch it. But there's enough external evidence to bring me to a place of being open and then the internal evidence started to happen. And, and you might be able to, to argue with me intelligently and respectfully about the swoon theory and about the resurrection and mass hallucination and the origin of life and the nature of the universe. You might be, and there's a lot of people way smarter than me and maybe you're more fluent in all of that kind of language and all of that, but you can't talk me out of what's going on in here. Because it's my, it's, my, it's, my, it's my experience. Internal evidence. There's some things that happen. Just look at the last three verses here, the last three ideas. We have a sense of conscience. I think that comes from God. Even Gentiles are non-church people who do not have God's written law. They show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts. Their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. And this is the message I proclaim that the day is coming when God through Jesus Christ will judge everyone's secret life. Why does a kid feel bad and you you haven't told him to feel bad? A little kid hits his brother or sister and and they put themselves in time out. You didn't put them in timeout. They put themselves in timeout. Why? Because we have a conscience. God gets to us in here. We can deny the conscience. We can let it get desensitized, but it's there. And it's kind of a calling card that God is speaking to us. We all have a sense of eternity. Ecclesiastes. Solomon writes, what do people really get for all their hard work? I've seen the burden God has placed on us all. Solomon was complaining here, but he got one thing right. I've seen the burden God's placed on us all, Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, sometimes seven days a week, work, sleep, work, sleep, work, sleep. It's so burdensome, it's so regular, it's so repetitive. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He's planted eternity in the human heart a sense of eternity. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God works from beginning to end. So I concluded that there's nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can, and people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor. These are the gifts from God. I agree. A good meal, a good beverage, family, we're going to have that today, probably, hopefully all of us, most of us. It's all wonderful. But for some people, that's as far as it goes. I'm just going to enjoy the moment who knows what's going to happen it's kind of a fatalism but god says hey but there's a spot there where i put eternity in your heart don't don't ignore that thing don't ignore that calling card and then finally when a person says yes to jesus if and when we say yes romans 8:16 the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of god how do i know that i'm a christian i know Either either I'm a Christian I'm have a, a sincerely and severely good imagination. I wake up every morning talking to this Jesus that I can't see. A lot of years now, a lot of decades. And then sometimes I sit still long enough and quiet enough and he talks back to me. And then I feel him leading me to do something like leave our home in Orange County and come and plant a church. Or ask this beautiful woman to marry me. <laughs> or something like that. And then he leads us and he guides us. And where does that come from? Well, it started, it started with somebody preaching the gospel to me like they did to the Corinthians. And me ex- examining the evidence and thinking it through as much as a 16-year-old brain can think. And then not having it all theologically together, just saying okay, you know, if you're real, prove it. And he did. And then he keeps proving it. So for some of us here, maybe you're just on the external thing. Maybe you're, maybe you're strictly fight and flight mode, and I totally get that, and that's okay. That's what humans do. I totally get that. That's fine. But fight and flight can't excuse us from being honest seekers of truth. We can't, we can't use that. And maybe there's been some emotional or even physical damage to you from a thing called church, and I'm sorry for that. But we still have to be seekers of truth. And I don't make anybody a Christian, and a church doesn't make anybody a Christian. Jesus reveals himself to the seeker, and and if the seeker says, you know what? I really want to know. Convince me. Convince me. Not as a challenge, but as an invitation. People can say, convince me you're there, but they can do it with a raised fist. You're never going to see anything. A man with a conviction is hard to convince. But if you say, you know what? I'm going to set my conviction aside. Show me. I'm not going to make up my mind ahead of time. If you're there, show me. Get past my fight or flight. Get past my emotional damage or even the physical. Get past, Lord, all those things that make me want to either fight against you or run from you. Get past all that. Here I am. I want to be a clean slate. Write your your evidence on my heart. And I'll honestly examine it. And then I'll make a decision about you. A lot of us have done that, and maybe not everybody has, but God invites you to. Let's stand and pray together. What? Oh, we have some questions. Thanks. As far as looking at evidence, what do you think about, if you're familiar with Lee Strobel's books, Case for Christ, Case for Faith? Uh, Real good books. I think I've read one of them. I don't think I've read both of them. I think we're just going to pray. Yeah. Um, good books. But you know what? Read them yourself and make a decision. Right? If, in fact, if I, if I think I have them. You can borrow them if you buy me lunch. <laughs> what are some of the secular historic sources that speak of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection? Uh, I'm pretty sure Josephus does. He was a Jewish historian that wrote for the Romans. Um, I know there are some others. Tell you what, I'll put it on the Facebook page. If the media could forward that to me, uh, media team forward it to my email and I'll, I'll put that on the Facebook page. That's a great, that's a great um, question. And that deserves a, a really good answer. So, um, By the way, uh, if I'm late getting it, man, we live in, we live in the Google age, don't we? This, this, this information is so available. That's it. Thank you for those questions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the, the gospel message. We thank you for the, the evidence that you have provided. We thank you for the historical accounts. We thank you for the, the literary uh, integrity of of the, of the Bible. We thank you for the changed lives around us, and, and we thank you mostly, Lord, uh, for our own experience with you. Father, I pray a blessing over each one here. Uh, may each one of us know you and meet you, Lord, uh, on your terms, but, but in a healthy way even in, on our terms. Without any pressure, without anybody pushing, Lord. Uh, may we all know you. So thank you, Lord. We praise you and we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.